All right, folks, what I'd like you to do now is I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the New Testament to Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. I thought that this would be a good book for us to, to go through because for most of us, we really don't have any understanding about the salvation that we have experienced through Jesus. And part of that under, lack of understanding, can I, be, can I be honest with you, is number one, we're not told what it is. Number two, we are in a church culture that doesn't emphasize that. And that would be true of our church at some point. That would even be true of my ministry. You know, I've been pastoring over 25 years. And the reality is, though, what matters more is what you were saved for, not just that you were saved. What you were saved for. Now, there's this concept out there that says, well, you were saved to, to do stuff. Well, but the people who are telling you to do stuff pastors like myself but typically it's stuff for the church well after a while you get burned out on that and we could all talk about people who were once really involved everybody knows somebody who was really involved at one time and then they just kind of fell off the face of the earth as far as coming to church now they there were reasons for that they got hurt uh, they got burned out and some of it, they just kind of walked away because it didn't make any sense anymore. Actually, I don't know if you realize it, before COVID, right, so before the current crisis, the attendance of churches nationwide have been declining. And particularly among those who are from the mid-teens up into, into the mid-30s. Why? Because it's meaningless to them. How's that possible? Well, I'm going to maybe present something to you from our passage today that will help you to understand maybe what we've been missing. And what you and I have been missing, what, what I failed to realize for many years, is, is that you and I have, we were saved into a relationship with the living God. He saved us, he forgave us, yes, we have heaven later on, okay? Nothing's changed there. But there's a life in between. There's a life in between that you can experience right now. And he's going to talk about that. And so let's, let's look at this together, okay? So if you look up on the screen, if you have your Bibles, we're looking at Colossians chapter 2, we're going to focus on verses 6 through 10, okay? So read with me as I, I share with you what it says. As you therefore have received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy or empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. 
and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Now, did you notice what that last verse says? It says, you are complete in him. Now, let's stop for a moment. Let's talk about that before we look at what our passage says, okay? So, you ever have an emptiness? I think if we're honest with ourselves, we all do. We all have this inner emptiness that we're trying to fill. And we try to fill it with all kinds of stuff. For some, you try to fill it with an animal that you try to kill to each season. And you're really motivated. You're out there hunting. You're out there. You, you, you've got the photos. You've got the food plot. You're doing everything to get that buck. And you get that buck. You even mount it. Then the next year comes. And guess what? The emptiness is still there. You thought getting that animal would bring the satisfaction. Well, it brought some sort of satisfaction. But it didn't bring completeness. Some of you, marriage. Oh, I've got to get married. And, and you've ever met somebody who's going to get married? Oh, it's a wonderful thing. And then you talk to people who've been married a while, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's okay, yeah. Why? Because they, you soon realize when you're married, that didn't bring fulfillment. That brought a whole different set of challenges. Two people who were different, living together, trying to adjust. And it's a lifetime, isn't it? It's work. Kids! If I just had kids. Grandkids. No, it actually, all those things, job. Get that promotion. Get that pay raise. Have you noticed the stuff we try to fill it with? And some people, they go off in wrong directions trying to fulfill it with stuff that's going to destroy them. Drugs, alcohol, sex, food. And we're still not complete. We're still empty. And so here he is. He's coming along and he's talking about that you and I are complete in Jesus. How do you get there? Well, it goes all the way back to verse 6. He's going to talk about the relationship. And so what we want to do is, is we're going to basically divide our passage into two sections. We're going to talk about the relationship explained. And I think for some of you, this may be the most important lesson you're going to hear in a long time. Because some of you don't understand and you need to understand. God is not, yes, he is the ruler of the universe. Yes, he is Lord of all. Yes, he is in control. But he loves you. And he loved you so much that he wanted to reestablish the relationship with humanity. So he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And he didn't just do that for you to get a get-out-of-jail-free card forgiveness. He did that to have a relationship with you. So we're going to talk about the relationship explained, but then we're also going to talk about watching out for substitutes. 
Because whether you know it or not, there's a lot of stuff out there that will distract you from what God really wants for your life. We're going to see that in verse 8. And then we're going to get to verse 9 and 10, and we're going to talk about what it means to be complete in him. Okay, so let's look at this together. Here's the first thing I want you to notice. Look with me at verse 6. We think we know what this means, but let me help you to understand. He says this. As you therefore have received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Before I give you the point, let me just kind of tell you what he's talking about here. Here's how we use the word receive. We use it in our gospel presentations. You use it with your kids when you talk to them. And we usually say things like this. You know, ask Jesus and receive him into your heart. Right? Isn't that how we present it? You want to receive Jesus into your heart. That's how we present it. We talk about receiving Jesus into our heart. We don't know what that means. We use that terminology. That is not what he's talking about here. It has to do with salvation, but that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about the way that we use it. Actually, the way that we use it is not proper. It's not asking somebody to be into your heart. It's embracing someone and realizing who he is and deciding to follow him. In fact, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about receiving. The word receive here is kind of like, all right, how many of you have email? Everybody almost has email today, right? Okay. And every day you receive what? Email. For those of you who have no electronic device, you receive mail. So it's a receiving of a message. It's receiving of the gospel. And so he's saying, you have received and embraced the message of Jesus. Because that's what the gospel is, folks. The gospel isn't pray this prayer, you're going to go to heaven. The gospel is a person. It's the good news about a person. Who? Jesus. So you embrace who he is. So here's what the point I want you to see here is. is just as you have embraced Jesus Christ... Live out of that reality. That's what he's talking about walking here. He's saying, just as you have received Christ, so walk in him. So just as you have embraced the reality that Jesus is God, that Jesus died for you, that Jesus gave his life on a cross, was rose again, seated on the right hand of the Father, one day will come back and rule that he has forgiven you, made you new, and now you have a relationship with him. Now live out of that reality. Live out of that reality. And again, because we're talking about a, re a relationship, I think everybody here can understand that. So think about when you met your first special person. And they responded back affirmatively. Because, quote, there are a lot of special people, but some of them might be blowing you off, right? So think about the first person that didn't blow you off. They, like, reciprocated your interest. They were like, yeah, I like you too. Okay, so think about that. Human relationships like that, when you meet that person and you're like, yeah, I am excited about this relationship. You begin then to live out of it. 
What do you mean? Well, you quit hanging out with your other friends. And your other friends say, he found a girl. How do you know that? Haven't heard from him in a month. Called him, he forgets me. He's always with her. Isn't that what we do? We change. Our whole lifestyle now becomes wrapped around who? That person. And so this is what he's saying. Just as you have received Christ, just as you have embraced the reality of who Jesus is, now walk in him. Now walk here is the whole concept of living with him. And actually it harkens all the way back to Genesis. What do you mean? All the way back to Adam and Eve when they were created. Who walked with them in the cool of the garden? God did. That's what we're talking about here. It's a relationship. So, so when you think about salvation, we've got to get beyond, oh, I'm forgiven, and later on, it's later on. No, you are in, if you've truly put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you realize who he is and, and you've embraced him, you've entered into a relationship with the living God. So let that live out of your life, out of that reality. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Look with me at verse 7. Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Here's three things I want you to see. Here's the first one. Your relationship must stop being superficial as it is grounded and growing. So he first starts off with an illustration that you and I can understand. Now, I don't like it. I don't like gardening. My wife does. I'm not a gardener. Ever since my dad used to have me go dust the collard plants down in South Carolina, I decided I never want to be in another garden ever. Now, my wife has been working on me for 20-some years to change that. It's working. I told her this year I would help. Okay? But you understand gardening, right? And you understand when you plant a plant, you've got the thing that grows up on the top, but underneath that is what? Roots. And what does the roots do? It establishes that plant in the what? The ground. And because it's established, it also draws nourishment for growing, right? So here he's saying, you need to quit being superficial about your faith. Walk in him rooted and built up. So rooted, that means you are what? You are grounded in him. And then it talks about building up. Well, what does that mean? Growing. But I have, a, I, here's what I'm saying. I've seen it so many years. You have people that really love Jesus in church and, and they really want to grow and everything. But you and I've met people where they're just the same as it was when they prayed some prayer 20 years ago. Because all Christianity is to them, all the faith is to them, is just superficial. And how do you know that, George? Well, look beyond the one hour on Sunday. Look at how they treat other people. Look at how 
They talk about other people. Look at how they do business with other people. Look at how they treat their employees. Look at how they treat their bosses. And we can go, I mean, look at how they live their lives. Then you'll see whether or not it's superficial. I remember years ago, when, when, when I used to pastor in Canada in our first church there, I, I met, I met, I, I knew a guy from a sister church who was a leader in that church and, and, uh, you know, he seemed like a nice guy. I only met him at functions and everything. So one day, you know, he told me he worked at a car dealership in, in the nearby city. So one day, as you go about life, you meet somebody from that car dealership. And I said, well, hey, I, I know somebody that you work with. Who's that? And I mentioned this guy's name. I forget his name now. Let's call him Fred. Fred. I know Fred. And he says, oh, yeah, Fred. I know the real deal on him. And I'm like, what? He tells everybody he's a Christian, but I really know what he's really like. And would you say super, Christianity was superficial with that guy? Yeah. See, it's more than that. It's more than just coming to church. It's more than just giving an offering. It's more than just serving. Christianity is more than that. Jesus didn't die for one hour on Sunday, folks. Jesus died so that you could have a relationship with him and that it would change your life. And so when you talk about living out of that reality, you need to get beyond just the superficial and be rooted and grounded in him. Here's the second thing he says. It's actually our third point here. Your relationship stabilizes as you learn more about Jesus. That's what he's talking about here when you look at verse 7. Rooted and build up and established in the faith. That's talking about established is the whole concept of being stabilized in the faith. Now, we're not talking about your faith, but the faith that is an understanding of who Jesus is. And the more you know about him, the more that relationship grows and it's stabilized. I think you understand that just from human relationships. So when you first meet someone, can I be honest with you? What attracts people to other people is the question marks. The what? Like, I've never seen anybody walking around with question marks. No, no, it's not a physical question mark, but when you're attracted to somebody, there's some initial things that attract you. Maybe the way they look, maybe the way they dress, maybe the way they act. But there is an intrigue there. And the intrigue is the question mark about people. And then when those questions are answered... It really determines whether that relationship gets better or worse. Well, here's the thing. The relationship with Christ, it gets better as you know more about him, as you are established in the relationship with him. Were you saying, I need to sign up for 50,000 Bible studies, George? No, not necessarily. Knowing what the word says is one aspect, but here's another one. Watching how God works in your life every day. And how he carries you through the things that you have gone through, through life. That establishes you too, right? You're increasing in your knowledge of Christ and the relationship. That's what he's talking about here. 
And so it grows. Here, here's, here's the fourth point I want you to see under this relationship explained. Your relationship with Jesus will overflow with thanksgiving. It comes out. When you have that relationship with him, Paul says it this way. As you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. It overflows out of your life. See, as you are there with him. So let me again, let's go back to human relationships. You ever been through something and you've gone through and it's like the world's on you and, the, and everything's pressing in and you wonder how you're going to get through it. And then you do get through it. And what do you normally hear people say? Man, I am so glad I got through that. And if it wasn't for so-and-so who was there with me, I wouldn't have gotten through that. I am so thankful that, that my sister was there, my brother, my dad, my friend, this co-worker. What comes out of your life is through that relationship, there is a thankfulness for who? The person in that relationship who got you through it. It's the same thing. Listen, thanksgiving as you are living with Jesus, as you are living through that relationship with him, and you're seeing him working in your life, even when things don't go the way you want them to go. And let me just go ahead and tell you this right now, folks. Sometimes things don't go the way you want them to go, but Jesus carries you through them you're thankful. You're thankful. It's that basic. And for a lot of us, we didn't have any clue. Nobody took time to explain that. So that's why he warns us in verse 8. I want you to notice what he says here, and it's particularly the Colossians when they were warned here. They, they were facing some serious threats to their church from influences, influences such as in their day they were dealing with a pre-Gnosticism. That's a group of people who thought that they had special knowledge, especially, especially special knowledge about God that only a select few had. Sounds familiar, isn't it? Only a select few have true understanding of Christianity. And then they also had this concept that the flesh, anything physical, this is weird, is evil. Only the spirit is good. So therefore, Jesus, in his greatness, could not have been physical. So they denied the humanity of Jesus. He could only be divine. So that was a heresy that they were dealing with. And so that was what they're wrestling with. Now, here we are. We're 2,000 years later. We got our own stuff that we deal with here. But what it is, all of it has to do with distracting you from the basic reality of a relationship with Jesus, from the basic reality of what salvation is and who you are in Jesus. So here's what he says. Look with me at what he says, verse 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Cheat you. 
Beware of that. Here's two things I want you to see here, okay? Number one, don't allow anything to cheat you out of the relationship with Jesus. Don't allow anything to cheat you out of the relationship with Jesus. And it usually happens. I've seen it happen. I've experienced it. You ever notice when somebody comes to Christ, they truly come to Christ, how excited they are about Jesus when they first come to him? And, and, and God is real to them. When they pray, God answers their prayers. And, and, you know, and they trust him for anything. I mean, they're talking about, you know, you know, God, I lost this. Can you help me find it? You know, that kind of stuff. And, 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 and the more mature, the more mature in church, we're kind of like, oh, yeah, you kind of like that when you first get saved. And, but you grow out of it. And guess what? They do. Why? Because they got cheated out of the real basic relationship with Christ. How did they get cheated? Well, we started talking to them about what it is to be a Christian. So some churches talk about how to dress, what Bible to carry, where you can go, where you can't go. And all of these different things to cheat them out of a reality of Jesus. And so now Christianity becomes stuff you do and don't do. Stuff you hold to and don't hold to. And, and that's reality here. And so he's saying, look, here's what the relationship is. Live out of that reality. But don't get cheated. Don't let somebody cheat you out of it. What do you mean cheat you out of it? Well, here's my second point I want you to see as we watch out for substitutes. False teaching, religious practice, and worldly principles will cheat you. False teaching, worldly practices, religious practices will cheat you. To the point when you talk to someone and you say, how are you doing in your walk with Jesus? Well, I'm going to church. First of all, can I tell you something? Going to church does not sell you anything about your relationship with Jesus. I mean, we want you to come to church. Coming to church is important. Don't get me wrong. You need church to be, have the fellowship and the encouragement in your relationship with Christ. But that's not a marker for how your relationship is. That's kind of like a marriage that says, hey, how's your marriage going? Well, we watched TV again the other day. That really tells you how your relationship's going? You sat in a room, stared at a tube or a flat screen, didn't talk because you didn't want to miss the line, so therefore your relationship's doing well, right? Well, we did spend time together. Yeah, but that doesn't tell you how your relationship's doing, right? See, don't let these things cheat you out of the relationship. And they're out there. Who to vote for? The Bible doesn't say anything about that. Period. Because Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. He told that to Pilate right before he would be executed. Did you understand? 
Because Jesus has a perspective beyond this world, which is where we should be, thinking beyond here. This is, this is reality. It's not how you dress when you come to church. It's not where you go and don't go. Now, again, let me just stop. Let me qualify. I'm giving you general statements because there are some places you shouldn't go because they're a detriment to you. But it's not a relationship based on telling you what to do. It's a relationship based on grace. Because let's be honest, did you and I deserve anything to do? Could we do anything to deserve salvation? No. Could we do anything to save us? No. Did we even ask him to save us? No. It's because he loved us. So false teaching, religious practices, worldly principles, they'll cheat you. And let me tell you, you and I have seen the outcome of this. What do you mean? Well, haven't I told you before that there, you remember, if you can think back, you think about back people who were really excited and really involved and, and, and then all of a sudden they disappeared. Why? Because they got cheated. They got hurt. They decided, okay, that's it, I'm done. Because they got, they were given a false picture of what it is. So let's 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 wrap it up with verse nine and ten because this is where completeness comes in. Okay, this is where. Remember, I told you we we all have this hole that we're trying to fill. We have, we have this sense of completeness and we're all looking at all kinds of places for it. If I could, man, if I could binge watch this new series, then I'll be really, oh yeah, you get over that series, there'll be another one. So, so no, listen. You're only going to find completeness in one place. Jesus. So here it is. Here's the first thing I want you to do. Let's see, all right, look at verse 9. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now he had to make this point. Why? Because again, remember I told you they were struggling with a heresy there already in this early church where people were saying that Jesus couldn't have been human, he couldn't have been fully man, he was just divine, he was just a spirit. No, no, he's saying he's God in human flesh. So here's the point I want you to see. Jesus Christ is God, and that is who you have a relationship with. Jesus Christ is God, and that is who you have a relationship with. Now, let me explain the significance of that to you. All right, let's go back to human relationships. Can you bust up a human relationship to the point where it cannot be repaired. Would everybody agree with that? That's why there's divorce, right? That's why people don't talk to each other anymore, right? That's why people go for years and, and act like the other person doesn't exist. Is that not true in human relationships? Right. And usually why that happens is because somebody or both people do something that is so hurtful that there's no way to heal that relationship, right? Is that not true? 
All right, now let me just stop. This is where the whole relationship breaks down as far as the comparison between a human relationship and the God relationship that we have with him. Because here's the thing. Do you and I sin? Yeah. Does sin hurt God? Is it offensive to him? Does it end the relationship with him? No. All right, let me just stop for a moment. We just said no. Why are some of you thinking that it does? Well, he'll never look at me the same. If he, you know, it's all because of the... No, no, listen. Why are some of you acting like it does? It doesn't. Why? Because your salvation, the relationship that you have with Jesus, he initiated it with you. How did he initiate it? He sent his son to die for you. He not just he didn't just send his son, he sent the person by who brought you the message that you received. His spirit is the one who changed you. And nothing Paul says in Romans 8 can separate you from the love of God. Nothing that you would do would separate you from that. So when you talk about the relationship with him, he's God. And I have, and you have, if you're a believer, have a relationship with him. That's what's awesome. And do you mess up? Yeah, think about Psalm 37, verse 23 and 24. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in them. Think about that. God delights in your life. Though he yet stumble, he will not be utterly cast down for what? The Lord, the Lord upholds him. That issue of stumbling in the Old Testament has to do with the issue of sin. But God upholds us. Is that not an awesome relationship where you know in that relationship, you know, with a human relationship, you can go and say, oh, please forgive me. You don't know if that happens, right? But in the relationship with God, when you go and you ask for forgiveness, it's what? It's there. So then that brings us to the second point I want you to see here. Here's what he says. It is Jesus Christ that brings fulfillment and completeness to your life. That's what he's saying here in verse 10. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Your completeness, that, that hole that's in your life. Let me just go ahead and tell you right now, I've tried to fill the hole in my life with all kinds of stuff through the years. None of it brought any satisfaction. I think we would all agree with that. If there was a satisfaction, it was only momentary. Momentary. Well, it lasted a week, George. Still momentary in light of life. But Jesus, he makes you whole. That is the relationship that makes you whole. Listen, there have been so many times, so many times where I have been so worked up and bothered. 
but it's when I go to him. It's when I go and talk to him and I lay out my feelings and my honesty and my hurt and I talk to him and there's that peace that surpasses all understanding. And there's wholeness. That's the relationship. That's what I'm hoping you'll see. So that brings me to my concluding point here, okay? I've been sharing this with you for the last several weeks, and here it is. You have to decide to get serious about your relationship with Jesus. You have to decide to get serious about your relationship with Jesus. Folks, nobody else can live it for you. It's got to go beyond the superficial. You know what that is. You know if you're being superficial in your relationship with Jesus. There's evidence of that. Just like there's evidence in a human relationship if it's superficial. There is evidence in your life if your relationship with Jesus is superficial. Bottom line. And so the question is, do you want to keep going that way? I'm going to tell you right now. It ain't a good way to go. But if you're looking for wholeness in your life, because the stuff you thought that would bring wholeness isn't, and it always isn't going to bring it, then you got to get serious about your relationships. So what does that mean, George? Get serious. Does that mean I got to carry my Bible more? Does that mean I got to listen, start listening to sermons all the time? Get the Bible app, listen to you twenty four seven. You know, uh, does it mean I'll, you know? No, no. Don't let anybody cheat you by telling you you have to do that stuff. That's not it. It's spending time with Him, letting Him talk to you. And you talking to him. And then you begin to see how he works in your life. And over time, you begin to realize, wow, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I'm glad I have you. So it's time. Let me pray for you.